0: knows how to play poker. But do you know how to play poker well? Well, Get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play. Where to play. And how to play better poker. Poker. This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez.
1: And welcome once again, everyone, Big Dave and Joe, uh, in abstention. From Las Vegas, uh, as we do the show tonight, uh, I sent him out there to uh, do a little uh, uh, discovery about uh, what's happening in the world of poker out in Las Vegas, and uh, it's probably probably warmer out there than it is going to be here tonight, Joe, right?
0: Oh, that's what I've been told. I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can repeat on air, but <laughs> my brother sent me a text this morning the letter carrier. And he said he was freezing his you know what off, but he says he hadn't seen him since early this morning because it was so damn cold.
1: Well, it's supposed so. to get down <laughs> in the high 30s out west uh, parts of town here, so uh, uh, I guess we've got to get ready for that. But uh, uh, tell me, well, I want to get into a couple things tonight. Well, first, let me just lay out what we're going to do tonight. Uh, we're going to spend a few minutes with Joe from Las Vegas, hear what's going on out there. We also got uh, plenty of big events uh, around the world starting up in the month of January. We'll talk about some of those later in the show. Also, uh, the Seminole Hard Rock had a little tournament between Christmas and New Year. We'll run down the results of that. I went over to the Isle Casino and talked to the new people. Uh, a good friend of Joe's, Vinny Gatto, uh, is uh, kind of the interim manager of that poker room since they let San Strickland go. So, uh, going to be an interesting 2018,
0: Joe. Oh, absolutely. And guess what? You know, as you just mentioned, Vinny Gatto, what a great guy. I had the pleasure of- Working with him when he was just breaking in as a dealer and, uh, you know, I was a I was a floor supervisor uh, over there and working with his dad, uh, Jimmy Gatto, who was also a floor supervisor like myself there. And uh, I believe his dad's been associated with uh, Coco, you know, with uh, Coconut, Coconut Creek. Creek over there. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, You know, if he he gets a permanent position, that's going to be absolutely wonderful. He's been a hardworking and well-deserved young man for, for this job.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know if he's going to be named uh, as as a permanent director. We'll find that out. I'm trying to get some information to do a story for Up Magazine, so uh, I'll have better knowledge next week of what's going to happen there, hopefully, and uh, we'll see what's going to happen. But a lot of changes on the horizon, and there always is here in South Florida, but uh, we'll see what happens and uh, hope for the best uh, for for everybody that works there, good friends over there, Dave Berman and and Alfred, and Ralph, and all the other guys over there that run the tournaments over there and have done a great job for many years. Uh, I do want to mention this Fun in the Sun event because I did get some good interviews over there, and uh, we may hear one of them tonight. Uh, I talked to an old friend of yours, Neil Blumenfield, a guy I guess you're kind of a fan of, Joe.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I got to meet a a very good friend of his while working at Dania Highlight who had given me Neil's number and had known him very well and, have dinner with him once or twice a night. So I'm so glad you had a chance to speak with Neil. I, I, I wish I could have been there to hear that interview.
1: Yeah, I talked with him. I also talked with uh, Evan Teitelbaum, a uh, real good player from here in South Florida. Our good friend, Jackie Scott, a uh, real estate agent who, uh, Won the women's uh, event out in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. Had a nice talk with Jackie, and a talk with uh, who was the the woman who was the chip leader at the time, Danny Diane, local player here. And uh, we'll probably get to most of those next week. Uh, we'll see what happens because I do want to replay. Uh, The interview, or at least part of it, uh, the interview that we did with Chris Bolick uh, during the summer, right after the World Series of Poker, he won a bracelet out there this summer and really had some great insight into what the the tournament was like and and the atmosphere surrounding uh, the Rio and all the great events this year with the uh, No November 9. Of course, they came to a title for Scott Blumstein, and uh, we had the great uh, appearance of John Hesp, and he talks about all of that in the interview we did, and it basically came upon that uh, looking for our best of interviews lo- last week, that the show that we did, and I just decided that uh, I needed to play a bunch of this interview because he does a beautiful a breakdown of a very exciting hand in that tournament. He also uh, has some really cool insights into what goes on behind the scenes out at the Rio. So we'll get to that a little bit later in the program, but let's start off with Joe. Um, talk a little bit about what you've seen out there, uh, whether the weather's cold or not, it's always packed in Vegas. And a lot of sports still to come out there. Uh, We talk about John Gruden going to the Raiders, and then he may be in Vegas in a couple of years. They have the hockey team out there. What have you seen uh, in your few days that you've been out there?
0: Well, my daughter and I got out here. uh, We got here at about noon Vegas time on the 1st. You know, I have been here for two New Year's Eve in the past, and this town's amazing, uh, Dave. I don't know if you've ever been out here
2: for new year's yeah.
0: eve but they close off the main avenue here las vegas boulevard and you know they you can't cross it at about six o'clock at night i believe is is when there's like no more traffic and trust me there's fireworks and confetti and confetti going all over the place and let me tell you this town is so great at doing that it, you wouldn't have known that any of that happened uh by the time we were in here and you know, I know from previous experience. Usually by seven, eight o'clock in the morning, that you know these roads are more than open and clean, and it's it's amazing. Uh, as this town really never stops, um, just enjoying it. You know, the weather has been cool, but it's been that wonderful cool, no wind. You know, it's uh, in the mornings we're waking up to mid 40s, and it's for me it's just absolutely wonderful because there's absolutely no wind. And yeah. So I've enjoyed the hell out of it, and my you know my, my daughters had to have a competition out here that we've been to, and I've walked around to a couple of the poker rooms, Dave, and uh, it was funny because today, you know, she had some time off, so we stopped by uh, Caesars and the Mirage and everything else, and I remember many years ago, you remember the show, Six, Three, and Roy? Yeah. And, you know, the Mirage was kind of the big poker room, if I'm not mistaken, at that time, yeah. you know... Uh, and, 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 you know, at that time, and we're talking somewhere in the mid-90s, and I remember it was right outside. It was a huge room. And today I was counting the tables. And it seems like they got about, a, I don't know, about a dozen tables, if that, in that room. They had maybe three or four games running. Same thing at Caesars. Um, you know, I'm staying at the MGM. I remember the first place I ever played poker in 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 Las Vegas was at the you know was at the MGM and the you know the room was in a completely different spot from where it is now and it's actually busier now than it was back then it was they actually closed this room down you know for for people who don't know but they actually closed this poker room down for many years and then i believe they brought it back after the you know the internet explosion of 2003 so right, right. and I, I saw a lot more tables going on today downstairs than, than I did back in those days.
1: At the MGM?
0: Yep, that's here at the MGM. Okay.
1: Well, what is the scuttlebutt? Are people talking about different rooms? I know you mentioned to me earlier today that Planet Hollywood had stuff going on. Of course, we always know about uh, the Bellagio and uh, the Arias, obviously a big room with a lot of play. The Rio, of course, during the World Series, but probably not so much uh, during the uh, during the winter so, uh, what is what are people talking about? Are places to go and uh, places to be seen? Well, listen. I asked a few people, a few managers. They were kind of busy.
0: They buy themselves in the room. Uh, I did stop by the Aria yesterday, not today, but yesterday. They had, I guess, it's their daily one o'clock uh, with a dollar You know, you know, one twenty-five buy-in uh, at two o'clock. They already had sixty-seven people in that tournament. Uh, Manager told me they usually get somewhere between 85 and 100, and the room looked nice. Now, I don't know if it's just because, you know, a lot of people left town. I have seen the rooms that I've gone to are a lot slower at this moment than I have seen them in the past when I've been in here. Even Planet Hollywood, I i i you know the, the last time i visited here planet hollywood i played in a couple of their daily tournaments just to kill some time and have some fun because they're small buy-in tournaments but they had a lot more cash games going back then than they did now so i don't know if this is a byproduct of you know everybody just being partied out and you know the the, the group of people for the new year but um From my experience, and, again, I'm not out here that often, but from my experience, the room seemed a little slow, you know, in all the poker rooms that I've gone to.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was talking to some people the other day about uh, the Mandalay Bay. Obviously, that was where the shooter uh, killed so many people from the uh, window of his uh, hotel room. And uh, people told me that their business has dropped off a little bit because a lot of people just feel weird about staying there now.
0: Well, let me tell you something. It does seem, uh,
1: and again, I I don't know if I can attribute
0: this to just it slows down for a few weeks, uh, uh, you know, right before this weekend, this coming weekend when the playoffs for the NFL begin and everything else, you know, but things do seem a little bit, you know, not a little bit, a lot slower, at least in my memory compared to what I saw here the last time I was here. And the last time I was here, was uh, I was here, Dave? I, you know, I don't know if we mentioned this on the show, but I was here. The the, the I left that Thursday, and the, and you know, the shooting that took place here in Vegas happened that that Sunday.
1: Right. And right. I,
0: you know, I was here in Vegas a few days prior to that. Um, as a matter of fact, I had been at the Mandalay Bay the Tuesday before the shooting with my wife, and you know. Uh, it sure seemed a lot busier back then. And I know that's a slow time. Usually, September, October is time to get some really good deals to get here to Vegas. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, you keep bringing it up, and maybe that's the truth, Dave. I, yeah. You know, maybe it is because of what happened here, but it doesn't seem as busy as I thought it would be.
1: It's kind of a shame because it's certainly not their fault. But uh, uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is: is there any palpable buzz about the hockey team right now?
0: I'll tell you what, I see a lot, a lot, a lot of people wearing the Golden Knights shirts. I didn't hear a lot of people talking about it, but what I did see was an ungodly amount of Nashville Predator fans here who the Golden Knights played last night. So I have a feeling that a lot of these people turned their New Year's Eve uh, celebration into, you know, Spending, uh, spending a couple of extra days here to watch the Predators against the Golden Knights, which, like I said, they played last night here.
1: Interesting. Uh, last question. uh you going to get the chance to play at any rooms down there during your time? I know you don't have a lot of time, but uh, you need to get your game in shape for this Seniors event uh, at the Hard Rock on the 12th. Well,
0: listen, I'm trying to, but, you know, when you're here, <laughs> you know, my wife's like, "No, oh, you've hardly done any gambling the last two times. I Yeah, I tell her, she doesn't seem to quite understand that, you know, in, in years gone by, uh, when I came to gamble either here or in Atlantic City when I lived in New Jersey, you know, I went with my buddies that we were there to gamble. You know, it's it's a little more difficult when you're here with your wife, your family, and as this case is now with my daughter. You know, because if I play some poker, I want to want to play for four, five, six hours. You know, get in there, get a feel. You got to get a feel for the game. You just can't sit down and shove on your first decent hand. You the game of poker, and you know, I just really can't do that with 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 you know the family obligations, so to speak. For every for the last few times I've been down here, so. No, I'm going to have to practice maybe a little bit more when I get home uh, in a couple of days.
1: Okay. Well, listen, I'm going to let you run. I know you got stuff to do, and uh, there's no bad meals out there in Vegas except maybe a couple of the cheaper uh, buffets. But uh, I'm sure you know your way around, and uh, I'm sure you'll have some fun over the next couple of days. Have have a great time out there.
0: Thanks, Big Dave. I hope you and uh, you know the UGO Joe everybody had a wonderful uh, you know and a, a wonderful safe and a happy new year. And I'd like to, you know, wish our listening audience a happy new year for this coming 2018. And uh, I will be back here, God willing, in in South Florida next Wednesday to give you any more updates that I may get before I leave here.
1: Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. We'll talk soon. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Joe Rodriguez, my partner, out in Las Vegas uh, for a few days, took a trip out with his daughter for uh, some uh, stuff that she had going on. And uh, certainly always uh, great to be forced out there and to go out there (laughs) against your will. Uh, No, he, he, I'm sure, jumped at the chance, obviously. I did not want to mention to him that uh, I was in bed on New Year's Eve at 1130, so... uh, I uh, didn't even uh, stay up long enough to see the ball drop in Times Square, but uh, I was up in Orlando for a college bowl game and had to get up early the next morning. So uh, that was it for me. Uh, 1130 was uh, the best I could do. Anyway, uh, we will be uh, back with more of the show. When we return, I'll talk about uh, this interview with Chris Bolick I'll set it up, and we'll hear a good part of that. Really interesting, and I think if you didn't hear it this summer, you certainly... Uh, will enjoy it or if you did hear it you will enjoy it again because it's great analysis and gives you a really great feel of what the playing at the world series of poker is like so we'll return uh, in just a few moments a little later on we'll also run down some of the other events that are upcoming around the world in the month of january and we'll talk about what happened just in the last couple of weeks down here in south florida at the hard rock and the Isle and other places we'll return after these messages on poker action line this is poker action line odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the play for free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the play for real game becomes available later this year.
0: WFO Radio NHRA Nitro
1: is all about the NHRA full
0: throttle drag racing series. Join Joe at 7pm Eastern each Tuesday night for the first edition of NHRA Nitro. Featuring the NHRA's Alan Reinhardt, race winners stop by to talk about bringing home the Wally. Every Tuesday night, following NHRA national events, NHRA Nitro is available on demand anytime on the WFO radio application and at WFORadio.com.
1: Welcome back to the show. As I mentioned, uh, I wanted to run a good portion of this uh, show that Chris Bolek did with me. Chris has been uh, coming on every uh, maybe once or twice a year to fill in when Joe's out of town or or uh, unable to make it. And uh, he does always does a great job. I think he's a very talented broadcaster in his own right. And I think uh, he needs to uh, really expand into that. I've told him several times. This summer he won a bracelet out at the World Series of Poker. Um, he's currently ranked four hundred and sixty one on the global poker index uh two twenty one in among u s players and has been as high as the top seventy five in his career one point eight five three million dollars in career earnings and just recently uh in late november one uh, finished second i guess in the uh tournament over at the Isle casino at Pompano. And uh won twenty five hundred or actually it was a twenty five hundred dollar buy in he won twenty five thousand. So still playing well, obviously uh the great tournament uh bracelet win this summer and he has won a World Series of Poker Circuit Ring as well. And also uh won the big tournament or finished second, I guess, at the uh Jacksonville best bet Jacksonville on the WPT as well. So uh He won a event at the Hard Rock uh, that was also uh, the Lucky Hearts Poker Open a couple of years ago. So I'm not sure if he's playing in that upcoming, but we'll talk about some of that when we get done with this interview. But this is the conversation we had back in July, right after the World Series of Poker, and I asked him for some of his observations Uh, about how the series uh, went and how it was different this year than in past years. And then we got into the main event, talked a little bit about uh, some of the final table stuff and the big hand that really propelled Scott Blumstein uh, to victory. Uh, It was against John Hesp, and that takes a good part of this uh, interview. But uh, really wanted to get... Some expert uh, thoughts on it, and he certainly was willing to comply. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this. But here's Chris Boldek from the interview we did this summer. Let's start out with a main event. Uh, first of all, some general observations about the the tournament. I didn't get a chance to go out this year. I've been out the last two years, and I, I think the first time I went out was 2012. I think that was the first time I met you uh, with Steve Carp there
2: at the outside the uh, the Thunderdome final table. Okay. Yeah. You remember
1: that? Was that your first year?
2: Uh, I've been there every year since uh, 2011, I think. Okay. So it's been a few years. So maybe, yeah, first or second year. Um, And uh, it actually changed uh, a bunch this, not a bunch, but they switched up the rooms a little bit. They switched where the Thunderdome was. Uh, They had a bunch of action in the Amazon that they haven't had before because they opened up that room quite a bit. So it had a little bit of a different feel. And they also added this King's Room cash game area. I don't know if you heard about that, but it was super nice uh, a lounge area with a bunch of nice, big, cushy chairs and tables and uh, free drinks where you could walk up. So that was a nice added bonus, which they're running the World Series of Europe at King's Casino in, in uh, Czech Republic. Right. So that was out a little there. cross-marketing that they were doing. The guy that owns that casino came by and set up this whole area, which was nice. Nice area for the cash game players.
1: Yeah, it's uh, after being the same, it's nice to see them mix it up a little bit uh, out there. Uh, there were a few other changes with the uh, food situation, I think. Uh, was it better this year? The whole, I mean, obviously you won a bracelet this year, so it's obviously <laughs> the best one you've ever been to. Yeah, but, I'm looking uh, at th- Were the changes the in a positive manner, or is it just getting too big for its own good?
2: No, I, I think. I, I think the World Series does a good job of, of of handling the amount of tournament. I mean, they're running so many tournaments daily, so many people are walking through those doors every day. I I think they've learned a lot in the last few years, and and they manage it well. Uh, the the food situation could maybe be better, but I don't think that's a high priority on their list right. when they have thousands of people walking in and out. Uh, so, you know, it 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 was it was good. It was enjoyable. I think they. They always do a good job. There's hiccups, minor hiccups along the way every year. Uh, players, especially poker players, are prone to complaining. So those come up and, uh, and you know, every year it seems to be a little bit more comfortable. There was some issues with the cards early on this year as well. Yeah. Which happened last year. Um, and I think halfway through the, halfway through the, the World Series, they switched the decks. So. You know they're trying to do their best to to, to fix these hiccups along the way.
1: Okay, um, where did you stay out there this year? Uh, I asked you a little bit about this on the show. You you did rent a, a apartment or house or, or, or with a few people, and uh, really that's really kind of the only way to go. You can't imagine I can't imagine spending uh, big money on hotel for seven straight weeks.
2: Yeah, not to mention just being in a hotel in Vegas is you know, it's designed to be there for two or three days, you know, maybe four max. But we we just rented a house on Airbnb, really nice setup, makes it comfortable. You rent a car, you have a sense of normalcy. When you go out there for a long time, if that's your plan, you wanna be able to wake up, you know, comfortably, have breakfast, go out, drive to the location, kinda have that time to prepare. So it keeps your your, your head leveled and, and steady throughout and keeps you fresh throughout the summer so that's a big part of for me that's a big part of the summer is finding a good location
1: when you go into it and obviously there's lots of expenditures including the buy-ins for the tournaments the money uh, for the cash games and that sort of thing Um, do you have a goal number that you need to make in the tournaments to kind of break even uh twenty thousand twenty five thousand
2: well, I I suppose it depends how many tournaments you you you're planning on playing. I I think there's so many different buying types and levels that you could really plan so many different approaches. You could play small stakes if you want to, you could play away from the World Series. There's so many options away from it. For me personally, I just kind of put together a, a rough outline of what I think I want to play that I'll enjoy, not not too many. And uh and then I go from there and if I start doing well, I start adding tournaments as i go along or if i play cash games and it's going well i'll maybe jump in a bigger tournament that week so i kind of play it by ear and just see how i feel i'm not really don't have a set schedule that i'm going to stick to the entire time other than the big guarantees millionaire maker uh monster stack these things that you really want to be in they're going to have big fields. So that's 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 the way I approach it.
1: Well, I look at uh, how you did. You had six caches. How many tournaments did you play?
2: I played roughly 20 or 22 tournaments. Okay.
1: And uh, you started off with a Colossus with a very small cache. And uh, the marathon was kind of like your start of a roll there. You made 14K, uh, finished 42nd in the marathon, which was a huge field. Yeah. Uh, so that was a good event for you.
2: Yeah, marathon was the, the tournament I thought, it was going to be it for me. I I was getting deep and I had a bunch of chips, everything seemed to be going right. And then just at the end of the day, whatever the second to last day was, I just kind of lost a big a bunch of big pots and uh, it kind of fell apart where I, got, I went short stack into the next day and ended up busting rather quickly after that. So it's 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 the feeling that you play for the entire time in a tournament is okay I'm deep I have chips there's 40 people left this is really going to happen and then it kind of crumbles really quickly and you're like oh I guess not but <laughs> but it's uh it was also nice to get a nice cash in there so it keeps your spirits up and you go on and play the next tournament
1: you had six cashes all together of course the big one uh the bracelet win and uh the $1500 no limit holdem bounty event and i want to get to the specifics of that but you won 266,000 so obviously it was a profitable uh, summer for you out there uh not that you haven't won big tournaments before at the end of 2015 you had those two big uh, scores a win and a second and uh then you also had the uh the bracelet win or the ring win at the circuit event uh, yes. in the same uh general time period anyway we'll get into some of that tournament eventually but i do uh i do want to touch on the main event because uh, this is our first show since it finished and i got the chance to see a lot of the tv coverage um how important was that to you to kind of stay up with that and was it more for entertainment purposes uh to learn something about the game or the players that you might le- meet later uh what was your view of watching the main event since there was good coverage on espn
2: for me, firstly, they, they changed the way they covered the main event
1: for right. the first time Big in a difference. long
2: time. So they, they got rid of the November 9, and they played down to a winner all in July, right. which has been new for for quite a while now. And I, firstly, kind of liked it as a player. You know, when when you're playing a tournament, it's nice to finish the tournament off as quickly as possible because if it's going well for you, you want to keep playing. Right. Uh, you know, there were some changes that... Might come up where people couldn't get coaching in time, or people didn't have that rest to kind of look forward to what they were playing for. But I'm I'm a big fan of the, of, of the change they made, and I'm also a big fan of the main event in general. I I, I want to watch what's going on. I got into poker because poker was televised and because people were winning the main event. So for me, no matter what, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch the coverage on ESPN. I, I love to watch the final table. I love to see who's going to pop up, whether it's people you've heard of before, whether it's unknowns, what the storylines are going to be. So there's so many different things to enjoy when you're watching the coverage, whether it's strategy talk, whether it's entertainment value, some guy with a cool jacket who's never played (laughs) poker before. There's so many things that you can enjoy watching the coverage. And uh, and it's, it's great. I mean, I watch it as a fan, as a player. It, it really doesn't matter.
1: Uh, did you get the feeling, I don't know if you being there, it was any different for you, but did you get the feeling that uh, uh, the magician, uh, I thought he did a great job, but I don't think that he got along that well with Norman Chad. And I don't know if that was manufactured or just trying to be, uh, you know, funny or that sort of thing. But they didn't seem like they uh, got on too well.
2: Yeah. You think something's going on behind I, the scenes, I, I do. I yeah. do. I think
1: that, I, I'm sure that Norman, who has been uh, with Lon since just about the beginning of the coverage, probably is not thrilled with having a third person share the spotlight okay. to start off. Uh, but a lot of things, it seemed to get very tense to me. I, I wondered how much of it was real and how much of it was manufactured.
2: Yeah, well, it seems like Lon and Norm have had this ongoing you know, relationship rapport for a long time, and Lon kind of defaults to Norm's. Comedic chops and and what have you and then I guess maybe it's just an added X factor that they they're not used to maybe Norman Chad likes to be the show uh, but I I think I think it was fine I didn't notice anything too out of line I think they do so much coverage every day they have to fill so many hours with commentary that there's going to be times where there's some dead air maybe or They don't really know what to comment about the hand. Someone might be thinking for a long time. So, you know, these guys are just sitting there trying to think of something to say in the moment. And and, Antonio is not a commentator by trade, so he's doing his best to fill in strategy and comedy, entertainment, etc. So I, I think they did a good job. These guys are under a lot of pressure to the time and, and yeah. say something funny or whatever but I think it was fine
1: How about uh, Helmuth and Negranu on the on the breaks, uh, talking strategy and analyzing hands you get a lot out of that or uh, you know because they always seem to be on the opposite sides of hand it's I know you can look at things very differently but uh, you know I it always seemed like they were uh, kind of polarized as far as their analyze, analyzation.
2: Yeah. This, to me, is the more interesting matchup, is Negronu and Helmuth next to Kara Scott on the break desk. It just always seems to me like Helmuth is going with something, and then once it gets on Daniel, he just pushes aside what Helmuth just said, you know, and just kind of takes a couple jabs at him, and then unleashes his strategy talk. So I think they have a little feud going on. Uh, That's the sense that I get. But it just always seems like they disagree. I think Helmuth looks at the game way differently than... Uh Negronu especially, but a lot of other people. So th- those disagreements are going to happen. But I think it's good for TV, all, ultimately, to have two different perspectives. Uh,
1: let's take our first break on the show uh, fairly early, but uh, I, I do want to get to uh, the main event a little bit uh, in our next segment. And then the following segment, we'll talk about Chris's bracelet win and some of his thoughts about what went on out there. But uh, this is one of those shows I know I could do four hours, but uh, we don't have four hours, but... Uh, Uh, certainly so much uh, to talk about and uh, obviously we'll have some fun here but uh, we'll take a break in the show we'll be back uh, after these messages you're listening to Poker Action Line and don't forget you can always pick us up on SoundCloud it's probably the best place and uh, we'll be back after this this is Poker Action Line This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Hey. What's up? Thinking about you. XOXOXO. Want to
0: snuggle, dot, dot, dot. JK.
1: Hit me back you
0: getting these texts question mark we should hang later i miss you holla at your boy holla back
1: holla back holla back
0: are you at home where are you what are you doing o m g you are making me mad are you with your ex you better text me back i'm waiting outside your house
1: Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When
0: does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at that'snotcool.com. That's notcool.com. That's not cool. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
1: Back on the show, Big Dave Lemon and Chris Bolek tonight sitting in for uh, Joe. Joe is. Uh... Uh, out of action uh, after a medical uh, emergency over the weekend, and we wish him the very best and hope he gets back very soon. Uh, May have to have a couple of uh, guest hosts over the next couple of weeks, but we'll do our best here and uh, hope that Joe gets back as soon as possible. Uh, Back with Chris Bolick, though, who won a bracelet this year at the World Series of Poker event number 50. Uh, Just a quick question about that. It was a bounty tournament, which I always enjoy. Uh, Does that change the way you play to try to knock guys out when you really uh, maybe shouldn't?
2: I I know that you're supposed to change the way you play. I'm 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 happy to admit that I don't exactly know how I'm supposed to change the way I play for a bounty tournament, but it it in the beginning it was crazy action. Everybody was going after bounties. Early on day 1, people were just getting stacks in and and calling all-ins left and right. So the tournament was a lot of fun. There was just way more pots being played than a normal event. And as the tournament progressed, that kind of subdued a little bit, and people just started playing a little more for longevity in the tournament. Okay. But it added a great element early on. So, Okay. We'll
1: get back to that. But uh, let's talk about the main event a little bit. Uh, John Hesp... Was well, obviously the the magician who we mentioned in the first segment was thrilled with the guy and thought he was great for poker and and he was very entertaining. He of course was the gentleman with the Panama hat and the uh, colorful jacket. Uh, as I mentioned last week on the show, we're th- we're familiar with colorful jackets because Tom Schneider uh, is some friends of mine are involved with the Loudmouth Company and he wears the Loudmouth jackets which are really crazy, like uh, cows and. Okay. Oh, uh, Crazy kind of stuff, okay. and he's been on Poker Night in America. But um, there also was a guy that wore a Superman suit. I don't know if you got a chance to play with him. His name was uh, uh, Wex, I think. His name was Wex. I
2: did not play with him. I saw I saw him on a couple of the coverage videos and, and stuff like that.
1: There's a lot of people will will do occasionally wear some pretty bizarre things. Did you see that at the main this year?
2: I didn't notice too much. I think... You know, people try to get on the coverage, right. walking in the hallway. I, I was joking with my friends, like, you, you walk through the hallway the whole summer, everyone's kind of staring at their feet if they busted or ready to play a tournament, and then as soon as the main starts, the energy just ramps up, and people are yelling into the cameras, you know, excited <laughs> about day one of the tournament, where right. usually they're just uh, just moseying around to get to their starting table. But the main event is a lot of fun. I think people... Have a lot of fun with it as they should. So, well,
1: you got a lot of people, and most of these people that dress up and that sort of thing are not great players. They're they're usually gone by day three, which you made day three, by the way. Yeah. Uh, in the tournament, so um, does it affect uh, the way you play at the table? I mean, because this guy is uh, dressed like a clown, is he playing like a clown, and you're going to play him differently?
2: Maybe I think I think you have to take everyone on a case-by-case basis. You know, it's very easy to play that part, too. You could dress up and be a great player and kind of know that people are going to respond differently to you. So there's an added element there where you now have to figure out, you know, is this guy Superman because he's not, or is he actually Superman, you know, at the table? Um, So it's a case-by-case basis. People like to have fun. Maybe once you get deep, they want to get some coverage. They've watched other people wear funny outfits or be outspoken and that's gotten them on the coverage. So you, you it's such a humongous field. There's so many different people from all sorts of walks of life, different strategy uh, levels. You know, it's hard. You, there's so many landmines you have to get through. You really have to take each case on an individual basis, I think.
1: Uh, we've been covering the main event for the last couple of shows and up until the final table, which was over the weekend. Started on, I guess, Friday night and went through... Uh, I think it went through Sunday. Um, Michael Ruan almost out Newhouse, Newhouse. Uh, after finishing fourth last year, he almost made the final table again. He bubbled in 10th place. Uh, Joe thought that was uh, one of the huge accomplishments he's seen in poker.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I not only can't believe Ruan went fourth and 10th, I think, are the two yeah. spots that he ended up in, which is a great accomplishment. I know he wanted to final table the the top nine for sure based on the way he was playing based on how disappointed he looked when he got 10th but it's an unbelievable accomplishment and then on top of that what i find even more amazing is that we had three we had four guys leading up to the final table that potentially could have their second final, second table, final table right in the last 10 years and then we end up with almost three of them two for sure made the final nine and then rouen gets 10th so the fact that we've been searching for these guys who are going to go back-to-back or final table se- second time in their lifetime in these massive field era, if you want to call it that for the main event. I think it's unbelievable that we finally saw a year where we had a shot not only at one of right, those people, right. but four of them, and then two of them got there.
1: Uh, ben Lamb and Antoine Saoud uh, finished third back in 2009 uh And Ben Lamb, of course, had a very deep run i think second or, or i think third or fourth in in the event he played several years ago uh He was probably the best known player at the final table uh, until now with John has but uh Lamb went in very short stacked and went out in the fourth hand, which has got to be absolutely crushing, even though we didn't have three months in between to lead up to it uh you know the anticipation and all the interviews you do for the final table. Uh, To go out in the fourth hand has got to be just uh, crushing.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and not to mention, you know, you could you could tell Ben Lamb was prepared for this moment. If you watched when he had all the chips, I don't know what day it was, but maybe six or seven when when they were leading up to the final table, he had this air of confidence about him. He knew he had been here before. He felt so comfortable with the pressure, the moment, and you could tell other people just didn't. And he was doing so well at that time getting chips, talking to people, being so comfortable in that moment, I really thought he was going to have a shot to win the tournament. And it, it, as it happens in tournaments, sometimes you just don't get enough cards or situations to get there, no matter how well you play.
1: I asked you before the show if you had knew any of these guys very well, and, and you said no, but uh, you have played a little bit with Benjamin Pollock, who finished third, and uh, uh, you said that he was, you thought he was a good player. What were your general observations about the guys that made the final table uh, outside of HESP, who we'll get to in just a second.
2: I think we had one of the most fun final tables we've had in a long time. And, and of course, HESP is a big part of that. But I think, in general, the, the, the two people that final tabled for the second time was so exciting. Ben Lamb being able to talk and be comfortable made it where other people were engaging as well. Brian Piccioli or Piccoli or Piccoli, yeah. Piccoli, Uh He seemed to just be having the time of his life. You yeah. could, he was wearing the emotions on his sleeve when he rivered that eight to with the eleven players left. He rivers a two outer to stay alive. I mean, these these guys were having the time of their lives, and you could tell. Yeah. And it's been a long time since we had that in the main event, where y- you felt for these guys and felt the moment as you were watching it, rather than see maybe eight or nine pros who know it's a big moment but aren't showing it on their face because they don't want to give anything up. So it was a fun one. Uh, ben went out very early. Jack Sinclair
1: uh, was the second one out. And they were supposed to play down to six, but they ended up uh, stopping at seven. Was there, there was a little bit of controversy about that. Uh, it was a very long time in. And uh, I don't know if the decision was made by ESPN or uh, the World Series of Poker or in uh, conjunction with the two. But they came back with seven players on the second day. Um, John Hesp was was up toward the chip lead, but uh, uh, they went out in this order. Damian Salas, Brian Pacholi, Antoine Saoud, and then John Hesp went out in fourth place. But Hesp was kind of controlling the action. I mean, here's a guy that uh, had career earnings of like $2,200. His biggest was uh, he he was a guy who plays a home game in uh, Great Britain on every other Friday night or something like that for $0.50 a dollar stakes. Yeah. And uh, was not uh, very experienced, but was a really cool guy. Uh, The the uh, jacket—you can even leave that out of it—and he was—he would have been entertaining anyway, I think. But uh, uh, was really a fun guy to watch.
2: I agree 100%. And it's a fun guy to root for because you know he's living out a dream. That he's just his dream was to play the main event. So getting fourth place in the main event is not even a dream anymore. That's beyond reality. When? not not to mention his age which
1: is 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 a, certainly a factor because of the uh the long hours uh for five or six straight days I don't know what uh, day one he played uh, may have had a couple days off but not only that but probably hasn't been away from his wife for more than a week uh, here and there in 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 30 years or whatever is my guess but uh certainly a very tough situation for him and to really be the chip leader for a lot of it and controlling the action until this one big hand that we're going to talk about
2: uh is pretty amazing it is amazing and it must have been thrilling for him to be in that position i mean as a as a poker player you love to be in that position so i can't imagine coming from his background in poker for for fun recreational type play to be in that moment must must have been unbelievable
1: well on the first night uh which was a very long night uh It was funny, I was watching, and uh, it might have been the second night where I I finally went to bed about 1 o'clock here, and um, I woke up at like 3 and turned on the TV, it was still going, and it went to like 4 in the morning here, I guess about 1 out there. But uh, you never know what's going to happen as far as the TV coverage goes. But uh, the two players knocked out the first night and four more the second day, leaving uh, Benjamin Pollock. Uh, Dan Ott, and, of course, the eventual champion, uh, Scott Blumstein. But I want to talk about the one hand because uh, at that point, I think uh, Hess had 120 million chips, and Blumstein was second in chips with about 78. And uh, I want to talk about the hand uh, and how maybe he could have played it different because uh, he had a good hand, Hess did, but uh, he was going up against pocket aces. You just never know. Uh, when the other player is going to have that. uh, Is that constantly on your mind, whether you get kings or queens or something, and you're thinking, God, does one of these other guys have aces?
2: Yeah, well, it it certainly can be on your mind a lot. But a big part and a big reason why, you know, you mentioned John has had all these chips all along, and unfortunately for him, the the downside of it was that he just didn't have the experience to have all those chips in this moment. Because along with all the chips comes... The opportunity to understand when to apply pressure, understand who you should be playing big pots with and who you should be avoiding. So I think it, it ended up costing him. He ended up doing very well in the tournament, even after this hand. He ended yeah, up getting did, fourth place. So so his finish a was credit great. to him, by the way. Absolute credit yeah. to him. But unfortunately for him, this hand really displayed why a little bit of experience and, and knowledge about the game and, and stack sizes, etc can really make a humongous difference in these big pressure, big money moments. Well, Blumstein uh, raised it to $2.2 million. He was under the gun
1: and folded back around to Hesp, uh, who was holding uh, ace-10 uh, of hearts. So, good hand to to, to play, obviously. Uh, you know, you're obviously uh, possible to flush out there and whatever happens, depending on the flop. But um, after the $2.2 million uh, lead-out by Blumstein... Uh, Hesp calls, and the flop comes out, ace of clubs, seven of diamonds, five of hearts. So, rainbow flop, but it does complete a set for uh, Blumstein, which is uh, unknown to uh, Hesp, who sees he has pocket aces. So, immediately, as a player like me, is I'm pretty much in for the duration of that hand, no matter what. Uh, I don't have the skill to uh, fold really good hands, but... Um, you know, uh, both players checked, which kind of surprised me a little bit. What's the thought there?
2: Yeah, so I, I think so when Blumstein raises, and, and just to re- reiterate, Blumstein has 80 million chips at this point, and, and Hesp has 120 million, and I think Pollock had the next stack at 54 million. Okay. So this is a pot between two chip leaders with nine people left or eight people left, I believe. Right. And, and so in Hess's mind, he should really be thinking about. The, the consequences of playing with Blumstein in a large pot. Now, when, when the flop comes ace, 7, 5, and they both check, Hesp should actually be kind of relieved, because now there's only two more streets of betting that he has to endure to see a showdown, and he's likely to have the best hand. He has ace, 10 now. So we, we actually go check, check on this flop, and, and Blumstein checks because he's absolutely smashed this board. Right, he can't expect Hesp to have an ace as well, so he's disguising his hand. He really doesn't expect to be able to win a big pot. He's just hoping that Blump's, or rather Hesp, maybe turns a pair or turns some sort of card that may encourage him to call a bet. And and Blumstein really is just looking to win a medium to small size pot at this point. And,
1: and Hesp uh, has no idea that he has because of that. Uh, because of that great play, uh, the disguise is perfect. And uh, when the 10 hits on the turn, the 10 of spades, uh, he now has two, two nice pair and uh, really has got to feel like he's got the lead in the, uh, in the hand. So he checks uh, thinking maybe he's going to slow play it and maybe uh, really trap uh, Blumstein. And Blumstein bets $3 million, which is probably maybe one of the smartest things he did besides checking the flop is to make a small bet and, and really string him along.
2: Yeah, and again, Blumstein is just thinking to himself, I hope this guy has something. You know, he's not really expecting a humongous pot at this point. Hess checks the turn, I would presume, thinking that he's trapping Blumstein at this point. Right. He has top two pair. He he can't expect Blumstein to have him beat, really, uh, especially given, you know, his background. He's not really thinking Blumstein is going to trap me here with a set. So he checks again, trapping Blumstein. Blumstein bets $3 million. And then Hess raised it to seven million. Now Hess is saying, you know, he's trying to get some some value for his hand. He he thinks he has the best hand. Then this pot just balloons so incredibly fast that before you know it, we we're playing the biggest pot of the final table. So it goes three million chips. Hess goes seven million chips, and Blumstein decides to make it seventeen million on his eighty million chip stack. When Blumstein does this, which is a great play, I think, because especially given who Hesp is. So Hesp is, is pretty unlikely to be bluffing in this situation, given there's no fluster on the board. And in Blumstein's mind, he knows Hesp has something. So now, all of a sudden, the opportunity presents itself where he wants to play a big pot, and he's ready for it. And if he goes to, like, $40 million, then Hesp all of a sudden puts the brakes on, maybe. Maybe, but but he doesn't really mind what Hespa does at this okay. point. He's holding the nuts. He's just think, he, You could even tell on his face he's thinking, holy cow, this guy just raised, and I have the nuts on this board, and I'm unlikely to be beat even when the river comes. So he makes it $17 million, and I watched the coverage, and Hespa, I think, actually got out of his he seat did. He did. He jumped before his he seat. acted. Yeah. And you can see the dealer kind of looking around like, is this is this okay? Are we allowing this at the final table of the main event? But of course you have to. Yeah. They're they're never going to say anything about it. He didn't step away too far. He just was so in the moment that his body told him, Wow, I can't believe this is going on. I need to stand up and think about this for five seconds. And he does a twirl, comes back and says, I'm all in right. for 74 million. Wait, wait, for for a hundred million, but he covers Blumstein for about 74 million more. And, of course, Blumstein beats him in there with the nuts and just explodes <laughs> in excitement when he sees that he's about to get a double-up. He's not even at risk. And, unfortunately for Hesp, this is just kind of a situation that displays where his experience kind of cost him. Because once Blumstein goes to $17 million, Hesp should be a little nervous. What is Blumstein really telling me here? He can't really fold, but he probably should have called, right? He probably should have called. He probably should have stayed in his seat. (laughs) Um, You know, and it's one of those things, it's a double-edged sword. Hess played this entire tournament on the edge of his seat, literally and figuratively, and he wore those emotions on his sleeve, and it helped him probably to get there. But at this point, when you're in that moment, you can't let the other guy know you have a tough decision, because now... Once he does that and he calls, Blumstein knows either way. He gets a sense of where Hesp is at. So Hesp should have probably called and then been pretty disgusted when Blumstein bet the river again in this humongous pot. But it may have saved him some chips in the the end if he decided to do that. Uh,
1: If you think about Hesp and if you followed the tournament along the way, uh, you know that when the first night started he won the first three or four hands uh you know he was joking around saying hey do you want to see my hand and and he show he would show the bluff or show the that he did have it uh and it was really kind of entertaining because uh, uh later on he worked in the fact that he said well you could see it in 30 minutes when you check with your friends and see what came in. So he was, like, kind of playing around and switching things up a little bit. But, um, you know, that was really the turning point of the event. Now, Blumstein came in, I believe, with chip lead into that day, uh, you know, halfway through day one or something. But for the first time... Uh, Hesp goes from chip leader to 24 million chips, and Blumstein's up to like 150-some million. So he never really gave up that lead, so he took the lead there uh, for good. Yeah. And uh, so what's your evaluation of, uh, you know, maybe Hess could have played a little better, but uh, Blumstein's play was pretty brilliant, I would say, throughout that.
2: Yeah, I think Blumstein did the best at each point where he thought he could Play the hand the best at each of those points in the hand. Once once they get to the turn and this pot sort of builds up, now he's just going for it. Now he knows this is an opportunity, and he took it. And that's a big part of tournaments, especially with nine players left, so much money on the line. A handful of hands, for lack of a better expression, uh, are so important. I mean, these hands have such a humongous effect on who's going to finish first and who's going to finish ninth, right. that it really comes down. At that point, the seven or eight days of poker that you have just played are meaningless because you're at that point now, and whatever happens next is the most important thing that you should be thinking about.
1: Yet he didn't seem nervous at all. He wasn't bothered. He was enjoying the spotlight. Uh, you know, He created a whole persona for himself for an entire nation of poker fans. Uh, pretty amazing. And to his credit, as you mentioned, he hung in there and ended up getting fourth place. Uh, a guy who had career earnings uh, on the board of two 000, you know, yeah. uh, two point two thousand, yeah, two thousand two hundred, uh, ends up winning two point six million dollars. Right, crazy.
2: And it's a ni- nice change after that point. Two point two thousand to two point two million right. is humongous. Credit to him. I just want to reiterate that because he could have completely unraveled after that point. And you could tell his energy really went down, and he kind of felt like the moment was ending for him because he played the whole tournament like he was in this dream moment.
1: And he, he was cool with
2: it. And then after a little bit, you could tell he just said, you know what, what's it matter? I'm yeah, still having right. the time of my life. Exactly. Now I'm going to try to do the best that I can with what I'm given, which is so important in tournaments, is to forget what just happened and move on to what's about to happen.
1: Uh, one quick point. Uh, he's 64 years old and really not an experienced player. It's nice to see that happen and see players do well like that. Uh, because over the years, people had. You know, people your age and and, uh, young players who started online, uh, some people thought that that had sucked some of the fun out of the game because these guys, you know, wear the hoodies and the sunglasses and the, and the, the earbuds. And really it's taken away a lot of the social aspect of the game. You said you had fun in the tournament. You played the bounty tournament. So obviously that's important to you, and this is kind of a huge comeback for the game as far as, Uh, spectator sport
2: yeah absolutely i i think it's very difficult to ask that much of the players because a lot of these guys aren't used to maybe playing on a feature table even so to ask them to now be entertaining for viewers is is a lot to ask so we're lucky that we had a lineup that encouraged that kind of entertainment and enjoyment but it's it's a it's a tough sell for the players they're playing for life-changing absolutely life-changing money So to ask them to do anything other than concentrate and focus on on the the task at hand for themselves, for their lives, is a bit much to me. You know, we can only hope that there's certain guys who just – like John Hesp, have enough fun where it's enjoyable for the, for the viewer. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, let's wrap up the main event just by uh, le- letting me ask you about the final day. Uh, the three players, Blumstein a huge lead, didn't think he was, there was any way he was going to cough that up. But Dan Ott uh, played very well and got close, uh, I think got within 20 million chips at one point. Uh, Pollock played well, had some huge hands. What did you think of the final three guys on the last night and how they played?
2: I thought, of course, Blumstein dominated throughout, and he ran very well. I th- I thought all three of them played well. I thought any one of them could have won the main event. I really thought, I've played with Pollock before, as I mentioned to you, and he's I know he's a great player. Ott, I could tell, had the chops to do it. So any one of them would have been deserving at that point. I just want to mention one funny thing about Ott, which is important to tournaments, is he was playing way different when there was two tables left. And he was kind of going after it. He was being aggressive. He was playing almost like he was playing an online tournament. And there was a point at which I think he realized when he almost lost a hand that this moment was bigger than that. And he you could tell he switched his focus to, okay, now I need to build something real and get to this final table and have a shot at this thing. And I just think that that's interesting to watch how people... Even in such short coverage, change their approach and adapt, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they're in the final three. Which this is the secret of the game, really.
1: Yeah, uh, no I mean, question if, about if
2: it. If once people have a, have
1: you under their thumb, uh, you know, and have a feel for what you're doing, you're lost.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you you have to keep adapting and changing, but you also have to keep in mind that everyone else is doing that too, and and. There's so many elements to this game that make it so great and and that's a big part of it. It's not just about the numbers and and the cards and you know there's staring at your opponent, there's how does anyone feel in this moment when you're playing for that much money on this stage. There's lights and cameras, you know everyone's going to be affected differently. So it's such a great great event.
1: That's our good friend Chris Bolick. Uh, we talked to him this summer and uh, uh, the interview was a little too long to conclude in our best-of show that we did last week with uh, interviews from Mike Sexton, Matt Savage, and several other other people. So um, I did want to play that again because I felt that was really the best moment of the show in 2017. And uh, we hope to have Chris on again soon. Always wish to, wish him the best of luck. At the tables. Uh, let's take our final break of the program, and when we return, we'll talk about uh, some stuff upcoming around the world in January in the world of poker and also uh, the recent tournament completed over at the Seminole Hard Rock. We'll be back after these messages.
2: This is Poker Action Line.
1: odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the play for free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the play for real game becomes available later this year. Welcome back. Final segment of the show. Big Dave in the studio. Uh, Joe joined us earlier. I hope you caught that and uh talked about a little bit what's going on out there. Joe will be back next week on the program and we'll line up some guests. I did a few interviews over at the Seminole Hard Rock at the Fun in the Sun Poker Open which ran from December 26th through the 30th. There was just six events. Uh the largest one was the main at 560 buy-in. It was won by Bill Farnan who is a uh a 40 uh, 57, I'm sorry, 57-year-old uh uh, player from Jupiter, Florida, and uh, he was declared officially the winner. There was actually a two way chop uh, between Farnan and Nathaniel Anderson. Uh, Farnan won 21,800, and Anderson takes home 19,551. Uh, Talked to a few of the players in the tournament, including Danny Diane, who uh, won one of the events. She won event number five, uh, which was right before, obviously. And that was the 130 Deep Step Turbo. She ran uh, $3,200, but she picked up more money for her fifth-place finish, 4700 I had a brief conversation with her, which we'll get to next week. Also, Neil Blumenfield, which I mentioned. Evan Teitelbaum, who had uh, what I felt was a great year. He wasn't so sure, but uh, uh, we talked to him about a few things. And then our good friend Jackie Scott. So we'll get to all of that stuff next week on the program when Joe returns and we uh Run down a few things. Uh, also, I did want to mention some of the tournaments coming up. Uh, January 6th through the 14th is the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure from Atlantis in the Bahamas. Uh, 31 events in that poker festival. There will be a $10,000, $300, $10,300 uh, main event, which runs from January 8th through the 14th, won last year by Christian Harder. Uh, they had 780. 38 entries last year, so uh, always an important event. And usually they're competing against the Aussie Millions, but that's going to run a little bit later this year. That does not start till January the 17th. And uh, that main event will uh, start uh, late in January. We'll finish up on Sunday, February 4th. You can catch some of that on Twitch later in, uh, well, actually, the first part of February. So that will be at Crown Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia, the Aussie Millions. And always one of the big uh, tournaments of the year. And then here locally, we'll have the uh, Lucky Hearts Poker Open at Seminole Hard Rock, which is a WPT main event. Also, WPT Deep Stacks will have their uh, tournament $1,100 buy-in to kick things off. That's uh, actually event one of the whole week, an $1,100 buy-in. Uh, talking to some of the people over there, they were very excited to see how an opener for 1100 would do. Uh, I mentioned the Seniors Tournament with Joe. That's on the 12th, and that will be Seniors 50 and up, $300 buy-in. They'll have Omaha 8 or better. They'll have a horse tournament, uh, Omaha 8, Stud 8 uh, split event, uh, super high roller later in the tournament, and then their uh, main event uh, will come down on Friday, the 19th, and Saturday, the 20th. Uh, The $3,500 buy-in that will be the final table will be streamed and uh, shown on the WPT show later in the year. Final table on the 24th of January. So uh, stuff here in town, uh, as usual, and stuff all over the world that we'll be looking at over the next uh, month or so, next six weeks. Uh, I did want to mention uh, a tournament uh, Tony Burns came up with. He had done a couple years ago called the Escalator. This is called the Escalator 2, and it's a series of four straight events uh $1 million series $150 buy-in for week 1, 250 in week 2, 350 in week 3 and 560 in the final week and uh the rub is if you finish at the final table in any of these events you'll get a free buy-in to the next one. So uh uh obviously uh certainly to get in all four is a good idea. Uh the first week is starts on Wednesday, February the 21st and runs through the 24th of February. There's going to be six opening flights for that event and uh, similar uh, functions for uh, later in the event. It looks like all of them will have uh, six uh, flights to buy in for an opening. And once again, 150, 250, 350, and 560 will be the schedule there. So uh, looking forward to covering that and seeing what's going on, how many people enjoy that. And then next week we'll talk to some of the local poker players, uh, got some of their thoughts on... uh, you know 2017 and and ending the year what they look forward to in 2018 so we'll hear from those people as well so that's going to about do it for the show um joe will be back next week uh, certainly looking forward to some of his thoughts on vegas uh which is still you know the hub of what happens in the world of poker but still a lot of stuff going on that we can uh, get to next week and we'll look forward to those interviews that I taped and uh, maybe have a few others as well and uh, we'll talk about brand new tv show that's tied in with vegas and uh, certainly some poker inspiration there and also the movie uh, molly's game which came out just before christmas and has a national release over the next few days so we will look forward to another great year of poker here on poker action line as we move into 2018 thanks for being with us we hope you'll join us every week in the new year geo thank you for all your help as usual And we'll see Joe next week right here in the studio. Thanks for being with us, and we'll look to hear from you next week. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies.